This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Hi, this is Jim Polzel from Safety Wars. Before we start the program tonight, I wanted to make sure everybody understood that we're going to be talking about a couple of legal cases here. I'm going to mention uh, some stuff up front. Everyone is innocent till proven guilty because there are OSHA citations issued, proposed citations. That does not mean those are the final result. Things get negotiated down, things get vacated, things get litigated. Everyone is innocent till proven guilty. We are working off of available public records, newspaper accounts, OSHA press releases, and things of that nature. And we can't make any warranty or guarantee as to what was there, if it's true, not true, what the facts are, or anything else. We're just going off of non-copyrighted OSHA information and some of my uh, own observations and field experience, things of that nature. So, enjoy the show. Look back to hearing from you and see you. From the border of liberty and prosperity in the highway to the north, this is Safety Wars for this Valentine's Day, Tuesday, February 14th, 2023. Happy Valentine's Day, honey. I got my wife a dozen roses, and to really show her what a big spender I am, I bought her a dozen eggs. Wow, the price of eggs has come down, but last month, wow, that was the highest uh, average cost of eggs uh, that they uh, had since like 1980, I was reading. Wow. This can't go on too much longer, people, but that's what I've been saying for 20 years. How's everybody doing? I was not on the air yesterday. I had some family business we had to take care of and attend to. A lot of stuff. I was all over the tri-state area yesterday. Unbelievable. A lot going on. We're going to start out with some commentary on the balloon situation. I wish we were not where we were allowed to have uh, regular music and not all this royalty-free music. So. We, I guess we could call this a Safety Wars exclusive. So, the balloons. What about the balloons? So, reportedly there were... No, we know about the big one. A listener of ours uh, sent in a photo of it over uh, Western North Carolina, right? The first one. And we shot the... Uh, government shut it shot it down over the Atlantic Ocean then we had a second one over uh, the Aleutian Islands Alaska area over the weekend that was shot down uh, then there was one up in Canada that was shot down, uh, down and another one over Lake Huron right the first one was at like 70,000 feet it was only a hazard to military aircraft but the other ones were right in the flight path now what's my exclusive here so I'm uh did a little bit of research and some other stuff on what people are not saying. So as everybody here knows, uh, we've been covering this whole thing with the power outages and the threats to our power grid over the last uh, 
uh, four or five months that we've been on the air. And it turns out that according to NBC News, who actually did a real deep dive, and I have to commend them on that, there were over 600, yeah, 600 uh, uh, reports of uh, an attacks on the U.S. power grid in like the last seven years. All went, most of them went unreported. One of them was at Metcalf Road, which uh, some of my listeners who I used to work with in California, right, uh, recall that that was right down the street from Pratt & Whitney UTC, one of the projects that we worked on where we were cleaning up rocket fuel and uh, ground aluminum. So uh, what's the, uh, so what's, uh, and then it moved on and on. And then in, I believe it was North Carolina, one of the counties was completely nearly knocked out by domestic terrorists because uh, they didn't, they disagreed with uh, something that someone was doing. Anyway, I, I, I digress. And you know, it's disruption, plain old disruption. So back in the mid nineties, uh, the lower Hudson Valley had a whole series of UFO uh, sightings. Some of them were legitimate. I'll be honest. I saw a flying saucer up here in like 1996 uh, outside of West Point along Route 293. So over uh, there, uh, Highland Falls, West Point area. But anyway, I think it was 293, the highway. But anyway, I digress. It was over by the uh, ski lift over there, right? So going, but anyway, number one. Number two was... uh, in that area, somebody had a supply of weather balloons. And, uh, you know, they started to get a little bit wild and crazy, and I had heard about this. And then, you know, I had found out some more information when I lived up. I didn't live there, but I was working up there. And what people were doing was uh, filling up these weather balloons with helium, putting the glow sticks around the outside of them, as we all know, and then, uh, uh, you know, with duct tape, you know, the glow sticks, you get them at, like, carnivals, you know, sporting events, uh, 4th of July celebrations where you break them open, then they glow. And then, uh, from what I saw, uh, now I saw one of these things that actually came down, women used to put, like, various articles of clothing onto the weather balloon and launched them out over the Hudson River, right? And then, like, a day or two later, you'd hear on the news, oh, yeah, there was a UFO sighting, and you'd hear, oh, yeah, there's another UFO sighting in the area, blah, 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 blah. So uh, what's my point to all of this, right? All, all of this is this. The, uh, my point is this. All of this stuff is readily available, you could go on the internet right now. I'm not uh, releasing any national security secrets here, and I don't want to give anyone bad ideas, but the, apparently the one report out this afternoon that there were hundreds of these, dozens, whatever it is, a whole number, right, of these things over that they're finding. Well, all this stuff is readily available on the internet. You could go out there and order we- weather balloons all over the place. And helium... No, and right now I'm told that there's a helium shortage or, you know, the helium has gone up. It's a commodity and everything else. Well, guess what? Helium is very uh, is readily available. So what's the chance of someone going and taking helium, filling up these balloons, or uh, it could be another lighter-than-air gas. Hydrogen is readily available, too. Uh, I believe acetylene is readily available. Propane is readily available. 
right? A lot of these gases, I, I don't know if propane is heavier than air. I have to look that one up. But anyway, launching these things up and causing a navigational hazard to airports and uh, planes. Pretty damn good. So you've heard it here first. So if anyone wants to go and, like, get on the phone with their congressman and their congresswoman, senator, president even, and just say, hey, look, you know, this is like uh, another threat here in case you haven't thought of it, you know? And I don't think I'm, right, now that it's the cat's out of the bag here with all the, these balloons everywhere, anyway, I think that's maybe an issue that they need to look into, maybe restricting the purchase of weather balloons, uh, things of that nature. They've or, Before you say, well, Jim, that doesn't make any sense. They've done it before with ammonium nitrate, if you recall, in the 90s after the Oklahoma City bombing. So I don't think that it's, it's really a big deal. Okay. Uh, some other stuff going on. We're going to go into a little bit of this Ohio thing after we talk more about the news this whole railroad station uh, railroad derailment in ohio and uh i'm getting a lot of phone calls i'm getting a lot of emails uh, hey jim are you going to comment on this yeah I'll, I'll comment on it but we're going to do stuff that's behind the news something inside story the inside iggy as uh are uh as a safety mystic jay allen has said and I don't even know what that means, Iggy. But anyway, he says all the time. Anyway, uh, Dow Jones Industrial. Here we go with all of the... Uh, Dow Jones Industrial finished down today, 34089.27. S&P 500 down, 41.36.13. NASDAQ is up slightly, uh, 11,960.15. Russell 2000 has dropped to 1939.91. U.S. Treasury note has dropped, uh, is raised. I'm sorry. U.S. Treasury note, 10 year, 3.742%. Bitcoin is at around 20 uh, to 164. Crude oil is trading at 78.69. So crude oil is up. It's down. It's up. It's down. But it's hovering around that, you know high 70s, uh, low 80s thing for uh, a while now. And uh, going on uh, with uh, Bitcoin, right? all this stuff is in real time here and it's 8, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff, is, you know, we're not the center of the world here. A lot of this stuff is being traded worldwide 24-7 somewhere. And Bitcoin is up. So, uh, you know, it dropped... Uh, Today, well, no, it was low last week. Now it's up, and then drop this, that, the other thing, 16,000. No, it's up, right, uh, today, uh, right now. So who knows where that's going to go. All right, OSHA news. A lot of stuff going on uh, this week. So here we go. An Illinois grain cooperative's failure to make sure they followed required safety procedures contributed to how a 27-year-old worker suffered a partial amputation of his right leg when a paddle conveyor was left running when he and two other employees entered a soybean bin for cleaning. That is what we call a confined space. Right, so the Department of Agriculture, which is probably the ones that govern this, have uh, no... Uh, limited uh, stuff with uh, uh, with uh, permit required confined spaces based on what I remember. But again, this now what should we have done? Probably turning off, lockout, tag out before you go in there. 
All right, is uh, basically it. If this is a general industry thing, right, and label that as that, then the uh, general industry uh, 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 applications for uh, 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 you know general industry confined space, entry lockout, stagout stuff applies. So let's get deeper into this press release. This happened on August 15, 2022. OSHA determined that OSHA's grain handling, safety, and lockout and tagout regulations and require power device to be energized before workers enter bins. So, da -da -da -da. here we have grain handling. Let's, we're going to go deep into the citation if it is... Uh, via, uh, if it's here, the agency proposed penalties at $629,946. OSHA issued four willful and one repeat violation here. All right. So what are we looking at here? Here we have it. All right. Do, do, do. And we're scrolling down into the citations. Remember, March 30th, all of this stuff changes and companies are going to be paying a lot more. Okay, first one. Type of, uh, apparently, general industry this is being uh, 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 counted as, right? Type of violation, willful, serious. 1910.28, this is the walking, working surfaces standard. The employer does not ensure that each employee less than four foot above dangerous equipment is protected from falling into or onto dangerous equipment. By a guardrail system or a travel restraint system. Okay, what's the fine on that? $156,000. That's a willful serious. Type number two, willful serious. Uh, another one, 191028 B6I, uh, right? They cited them again. Uh, for the same thing, 156259 Citation item three, willful serious. Another one, same one, $156,259. Uh, citation one, item four. Okay, it's a different one. 1910-272-G12. Prior to entry, all mechanical, electrical, and hydraulic and pneumatic equipment, which is presented and dangerous to employees inside grain storage structures. So grain storage structures are not agriculture. They're apparently general industry and the grain handling facility are not disconnected so okay that's one all right i'm not familiar with that type of work uh specifically grain stuff and this is a repeat 1910 272 g13 the atmosphere within a bin silo or tank in the grain handling facility is not tested for oxygen content wow and this was a repeat violation, 4910. For a grand total of 629,946. Wow. Department of Labor cites a Lehigh Valley Tree Service Company and owner for serious violations after a 17-year-old worker suffers fatal falls. This again was in August 2022, summer job apparently for a 17-year-old worker. He was Oh, this is a horrendous one. The 17-year-old uh, worker had suffered fatal injuries after being pulled into a wood chipper at a work site in Allentown. Wow. Uh, 
and I'm not even going to mention the company name here because I don't know. I don't know. This sounds, I don't know what the situation is here. All right. But uh, 10 ci uh, citations for serious safety violations and a proposed total penalties of $124,987. Now, here's something else. All right, so they have all these citations here, and let's see what they are. Here you have type of one uh, uh, serious is general duty clause. Right, uh, safe and helpful uh, place of employment, uh, free of recognized hazards. Uh, hold on. All right. Uh, all right. So the person was uh, exposed to uh, being caught in rotating and moving parts. That a wood chipper. That one was 15,625. Number two, type of violation, serious. 1910 uh, The employer did not assess the workplace to determine if hazards are present or are likely to be present, which necessitate PPE. Again, PPE issue, right? Uh, flying airborne wood chips, right? Eye and face hazard, head hazard, probably on that too. Another 15,625. 1910-133-A1, protective eye and face equipment. Number four, uh, employee did not uh, wear a hard hat, right? Protective helmet. Number five, protective footwear. So this is always a thing, right, uh, for us, safety guys, safety gals, right? It is specifically, uh, I'm not wearing... Uh, safety-toed shoes because I had a relative, an uncle, a grandfather, great-grandfather, uh, grandmother's paramour who was working in a shipyard uh, in uh, the Pacific Northwest at logging or somewhere else like that, steel mill, and they ha a piece of steel, a tree or something else fell from five stories in the air. They happened to be standing underneath the load and it landed on their toe. And if it weren't for those steel toes, their foot, they still have their toes today. Really? Now, how many times do you think I hear that? I heard it this week again. I said, oh, okay, great. That's, no, let the supervisors handle it at that point. You know? And what it comes down to is this. I did a deep dive with uh, legal cases and everything with this. Lexus Nexus and talked to some attorneys and everything. Like the first freaking question that they ask with a foot injury, were you wearing protective footwear? And guess what? You cannot use broken and missing limbs as leading indicators of the need for protective footwear. Can't do it. 1910-138, the employer did not select and require employees to use appropriate hand protection when employees' hands are exposed to hazards, such as those from harmful substances. Again, no hands, right? They didn't do the assessment. They didn't do any PV or anything. Okay, here's another one. They, and this is a couple of them already. Uh, they're doing a big push for first aid and CPR training. So 
Nobody, there were, uh, there was neither an infirmary, clinic, or hospital used for the treatment of all injured employees in near proximity to the workplace. So a person or persons adequately trained to render first aid. How much does a first aid CPR certification cost? The answer is not much. There are a lot of free courses out there, but you know what? You can hire us, 845-269-5772. I'll come out to your facility and we'll do first aid CPR training for you. All right. Uh, so if you cannot get prompt medical attention within four minutes, there's a letter of interpretation within like four minutes, three to four minutes, you got to have someone first aid CPR trained with the appropriate uh, first aid kit. We're not talking that little uh, uh, travel first aid kit. They have to have like um, an, uh, meet ANSI standards. And you also have to have uh, uh, uh have uh, an assessment done as to what your needs are for first aid supplies. Because I tell you that ANSI standard, although good, doesn't cover all of your uh, first aid CPR requirements. Real simple. Here's another one. Employer did not provide portable fire extinguishers for a mounted locator and identified so as to be easily readily available and accessible for the employee use. Wow. <laughs> some uh, there's an inside story to this somewhere that's another serious one right there's another serious one no written or developed hazardous communication program another thirteen thousand dollars fourteen thousand all of us another one safety data sheets not available they got a zero on that one right i guess they gave them a break number nine C, right, uh, no training on uh, hazardous chemicals in their work area. Okay, they, that was zero. And toilet facilities, no toilet facilities. Another one for zero is other than serious. It's for a grand total of $136,163. Wow. U.S. Secretary of Labor Marty Walsh joined Assistant uh, Secretary for Occupational Safety and Health Doug Parker today to sign a memorandum that's from yesterday. It gives OSHA the authority to issue certifications in support of applications for new non-immigrant status and T non-immigrant status visas. U visas and T visas allow victims of specific crimes to help law enforcement detect, investigate, and prosecute crimes without fear of retaliation based on their immigration sta uh, status. Why is OSHA getting this authority? Next paragraph. For the first time, OSHA will be able to issue these visa certifications during this workplace safety investigation. So this is what happens. You have an immigrant workforce that may have, they may not even have uh, issues with uh, being in the country legally. And then what do they have? Oh, well, I'm not saying anything. I'm not helping anybody out. They're from the government. They're going to send me away. Well, guess what? OSHA is going to be issuing visa certifications if it's... Uh, if it uh, 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 
if it involves what OSHA has jurisdiction in. So for the first time, OSHA will be able to issue these visa certifications during the workplace safety investigations when the agency identifies qualifying criminal activities, including manslaughter, trafficking, extortion, felonious assault, forced labor, and obstruction of justice. So, uh, OSHA's new authority, effective March 30th, 2023, will strengthen its ability to protect all workers, including those whose immigration status or other social and cultural inequities discourage them from sharing information with investigators or reporting workplace safety and health issues. The authority will also provide the agency with a critical tool for protecting immigrant and migrant worker communities, regardless of their lack of immigration status or temporary employment authorization. Expanding OSHA's UNT Visa Certification Authority helps the agency better fulfill its mission to make U.S. workplaces as safe and as healthy as possible. Right? Uh, and by innate, right? And that's it. I'm not going to read out any further, but that's basically it. U.S. Department of Labor announces publication of interim final rule uh, for handling criminal antitrust and anti-retaliation uh, complaints. As we recall, right, uh, this isn't part of the press release, but let's remember, OSHA handles like over 20 different whistleblower uh, uh, areas, right, for the government that, and areas that don't even have anything to do with safety. But OSHA is the uh, repository, is the enforcement arm, is the uh, data generation arm for any of those things. U.S. Department of Labor's Occupational Safety and Health Administration recently published an interim final rule establishing procedures and timeframes for handling employee retaliation complaints under the Criminal Antitrust Anti-Retaliation Act enacted December 23, 2020. Departments of Labor and Justice will collaborate to enforce CARA to ensure protection of whistleblowers from retaliation for reporting potential criminal antitrust violations or engaging in other protective activities. These activities include testifying, participating, or assisting in certain federal government investigations or proceedings. Protected reports include providing information to an employer or the federal government relating to price fixing, bid ranking, or market, 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 not Margaret, market allocation schemes between competitors or information relating to violations of other criminal laws committed in conjunction with potential violations of the criminal antitrust laws or in conjunction with a Justice Department investigation of potential violations of those laws. Okay, great. Do, do, do. And for the last one, U.S. Department of Labor announces plans to withdraw proposal to reconsider revoke Arizona State's OSHA plan's final approval. The U.S. Department of Labor today announced that its Occupational Safety and Health Administration will withdraw its proposal re to reconsider and revoke final approval of Arizona's state plan for occupational safety and health, and by doing so, will leave the state's plan in place. So, last year, Arizona's OSHA... Uh, however, it's just, you know, uh, managed there. They were going to uh, remove uh, 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 the uh, permission to have their own OSHA, right? So under uh, 
all, no, OSHA and the EPA, and I imagine it's some other agencies, you're allowed to have your own state plan, like California has it, like 37 states have it in one form or another. Some states like New Jersey only have it for like public employees, the same thing with New York State, and there's all varying degrees. So Arizona uh, was accused of uh, failure to adapt maximum penalty levels, certain standards, and national emphasis programs. But more importantly, COVID-19. Uh, they dropped the ball on that. Oh, uh, the, they got threatened and everything else. And uh, uh, no, they fixed their plan by July 5th, right? Apparently, and they went through reviews and everything else. So OSHA decided to review it. We have one thing from EPA. EPA announces initial program design of Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund. Inflation Reduction Act program puts public and private capital to work in communities combating climate change, creating economic prosperity and for all. Today, this is February 14th, today the U.S. EPA announced initial guidance on the design of the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund program created by President Biden's Inflation Reduction Act. EPA published two federal assistance listings outlying key parameters of the grant competitions that will ultimately award nearly $27 billion to leverage private capital for clean energy and clean air investments across the country. Federal assistance listings are the first public notice requirement to implement a federal grant program. Okay, that's the news. We're going to come back after a short commercial break. Oh, hold on, everybody. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackney? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Pozel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. Okay, yes, you are the solution, and you're also the solution to protecting yourself and your family. So there's been a lot of talk, and I wanted to talk about this yesterday, but as we said, we had stuff going on with the family. I could not make it there. Could not do it. Impossible. Right? And uh, with that, so well, let's talk about this. All right. 
So here we have, and you know, just to let you know, we had major work done this weekend, my wife and I and kids on our studio here. So I'm coming to you from a different uh, computer setup here. Thank God it worked. We'll try it again tomorrow. Uh, so just FYI, next week we are going to be, uh, next week we are going to be uh, broadcasting remotely. Uh, there's a good chance you I will not be on the air uh, the majority of next week. I am making my way uh, to uh, uh, Florida uh, next week, and uh, I will be at, on February 24th, we will be at the International Conference on Climate Change. I'm broadcasting and interviewing people there. If everything goes well, we have it arranged and everything else. It's a go. Um, we're doing this remotely. Uh, no. Right now, I'm uh, working just uh, no, between audits and everything else. Uh, I'm actually turning work back uh, right now. Uh, we, uh, no, we're, we're Between this program and everything else, we're doing, like everybody else, a 14-hour day here. So uh, I'm going to be taking a couple of days off, uh, meeting with some people, and you know, we'll be back on Friday uh, and everything. Uh, hopefully, uh, but that may not happen. So we'll see what happens. Uh, next week. So, uh, anyway, uh, no, this train, you know, uh, in Ohio. Now, I'm going to start this out with a disclaimer. I am not involved with this whole situation. Personally, I'm not consulting on it or anything like that. I'm going off of publicly available data. Uh, I have not uh, gotten any uh, any uh, analytical data or anything like that uh, to comment on this stuff, but we're going to be talking about things. So, uh, so how do I, the, the question on all of this, how do I fit in basically a three-day class, or if you want to go more than that, a 40-hour Haswell class in a half an hour? Not going to happen. But I'm going to tell you some inside stuff and some other stuff here. So you can probably get a bigger idea, and everything else on what's going on here. So, the, on, uh, when was this? February 3rd, in East Palestine, Ohio. Uh, I have to turn this off. All right, uh, East Palestine, Ohio, there was a train derailment of something like 10 cars, they're saying, and they were, Loaded up with a uh, lot of stuff. So if you look on the rail cars, there is what is there is a diamond on the on the side of it. All right, and that diamond has a UN number on it, and it has a certain UN number on it. And you look that up into a guide, and it'll tell you exactly what's in there. And also, these rail cars have to have a manifest or something else along those lines on that detailing what's on the rail car. So uh, I find it hard to believe that nobody knew what was on here because it's on the UN sim uh, symbols on the side of the cars. It may also be labeled on the side, but the UN uh, and some other markings on there, you know, flammable hazards required to be on there. I'm not a rail car guy. I'm not a DOT guy per se, but there is markings on there. Uh, number one. So what was identified? Initially, it was vinyl chloride was uh, 
identified. But according to the news reports I'm seeing, it was other chemicals. And we're going to go through some of the chemical hazards and other things. Ethylene glycol monobutyl ether, ethyl hexyl acrylate, and all you health and safety people should know this one, isobutylene. Right? So that was what was in it. Now, we're going to run through the SDSs on your safety data sheets and on these uh, things. Now, there are three questions you should be asking your public officials anytime there's a hazmat incident in there. All right? Number one, right? It should be in this order. All right, so listen close, and you're not going to hear this anywhere else. Number one. Are, what was in the, uh, are the, uh, let me start over. Number one, are, is the air safe, right? That's number one. Number two, what were the chemicals in there? Or it could be anything. What were the chemicals in there? What's the situation? Number three is, did you actually sample for those things in there? Those are the three things that you ask, right? So usually they'll say, oh, yeah, the air is safe. No problem. No problem at all. You know, it ain't a big issue. And then number two will be, well, you know, oh, we got this. We got this. We got this. We got this. Oh, yeah. And then it's, okay, what are the, here, number three, let's make this number three. Well, no, what are the safe levels for that? Hmm. And number four, did you actually sample for those? What's your basis? What are you, did they actually, so four things. Let's start out. Number, I fouled it up a little bit. Of course, live radio. Number one, is it safe? Number two, right? What were the chemicals? Number three, what are you basing that assessment on, right? Do you have PELs, RELs, TLVs, you know, other exposure standards, whatever, and number four, did you actually sample for those? Has to be in that order. Because I'm going to tell you, especially, I no, I mentioned this to uh, a radio talk show host here in New York in the late 1990s, Lynn Samuels. All right, God rest in peace, Lynn. Uh, she allowed me on her program a lot of times to talk about environmental issues and safety issues. Um, and... She said, you got to be kidding me, Jimmy. I said, I'm not kidding you, Lynn. She says, you mean to tell me, you mean to tell me that, you mean to tell me that they'll say, they'll go through all of those questions and they won't even sample for it? I said, yeah, she says, you're full of gluvenol. She didn't say that on the air, but you know, she's like, you got to be kidding me. Then what happened? Recall what happened. What happened on September two thousand one, September eleventh. The air is safe. Christine Todd Whitman was told multiple times from at least five people that I know of, and all five of those people suffered from PTSD, and one of them committed suicide over it. Were ignored about the whole thing. Hey, the air. Hey, look. Blah, blah, blah. And then they talked about toxicology and the additive form. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So, 
you know, again, they didn't do air monitoring or air sampling, and they couldn't because of look at the size of the emergency until about a week or two later. So, again, they didn't have the data to support whether or not the air was safe. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about toxicology here, right? You have chemicals could impact you several different ways. There are typically four major ways of chemicals getting into your body. It could be through inhalation. It could be through ingestion. It could be through contact, right, through the skin. And, right, so we have inhalation, ingestion, contact, uh, right, and it could be injection. So the typical thing that we talk about with injection is, like, through a, a needle, right, a hypodermic needle, but it could also be other things like pressure washing, high pressure, things under pressure, either air or liquid. Uh, it could be things of that, right? So those are the other one. Now, you have what are called exposure standards, and there are many different types of exposure standards, but for occupational safety and health, the exposure standards are normally the OSHA PEL, permissible exposure limit. The PEL is based on an eight-hour time-weighted average, average over a 30-year uh, working lifetime, 80 hour, eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, right? which means if you go over that, you have to adjust it downward. REL is typically 10 hours. That's issued by NIOSH. So the OSHA PEL, that's what OSHA cites you for. Unless you're on a hazmat job, then they cite you on, uh, they could cite you on the lowest published limit, right, typically. But uh, on a, uh, then you, and that is set by regulation. The REL is set out by the Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta, a division called NIOSH, National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. That's typically on a 10-hour time-weighted average. All right? 10 hours. And they give you a limit. It could be eight, but it's usually 10, my understanding of it. Then you had American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists, ACGIH. They have, that's a trade industry group. That does not have, again, the full force of law uh, per se, uh, 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 except under very limited circumstances and probably under litigation, under like torts, right? So that is... Uh, a trade industry group uh, that actually goes out there and, uh, and you know, they uh, accept letter uh, uh, recommendations and everything else that goes in there. And then you may have other ones from other countries. I believe Canada has theirs. Europe has theirs. Other countries have their other things. Now, you also have a ceiling limit, which is usually a not to exceed limit. Uh, usually, uh, you know, that they have there. And then you have a uh, uh, STEL, short-term exposure limit. Then you also have what is called a IDLH, immediately dangerous life and health limit, where if you're exposed to something and it's normally 30 minutes or less at a certain level, right, you're going to be uh, uh, have irreparable harm or death, right, to it. Now, OSHA is set by regulations. It takes 15 years for these things to be updated. More famous, I believe, it was 1989. They had a, uh, they had a, uh, 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 well, they tried to update all of them at one time, and the Supreme Court a couple of years said, no, 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 not so fast. And the uh, REL's right are 
take a, a, again a long time to update. We're still working on the book uh, from 2010, I believe it is. I don't have it in front of me. 2005, 2010, something like that. And they're always talking about we're going to update it. It's sort of like you know pra uh, promising a uh, turkey in October that in September that they're going to get cable TV next year, and then because you know they end up on the uh, Thanksgiving table, right? You know, not going to matter. And then the ACGIH, they have a big party uh, every year, big convention. And, uh, I mean, it gets wild and crazy from what I hear. It's all safety professionals there and researchers. And they get together and they talk about this stuff and have papers. And they publish a new thing every year that you got to buy uh, you know, and it, every year. And then you got to go read it. And, you know, hey, they make their money. Everybody makes money. Everybody's happy. And, you know, this is what they talk about. Big wild party. And it's always in a resort city off-season for the really good rates. So... Uh, they go out there and they do, you know, they do the whole thing and, you know, issue things. Now, these are measured typically, right? And uh, if you're going to see parts per million in any of this stuff, and this is all concerning air, air exposures. We're not talking about ground level exposure, uh, ground exposure. Those are all issued like groundwater, uh, uh, groundwater and, uh, solid right soil that sort of thing we're talking about air stuff so usually if you're going to see parts per million you're going to be dealing with a gas or a vapor right if you're going to be seeing milligrams per meter cubed or some type of weight per meter cubed micrograms per meter cubed you're going that's going to be typically a dust or an aerosol right however note that a gas could also be uh, described in a weight per volume, milligrams or micrograms per cubic meter, right? Or uh, with that. So uh, there is a formula for that, and I don't, can't recall offhand, but it's on all of the health and safety exams, right? With that, that's in the body of knowledge. It may, it may or may not be on your exam, but you got to know it if you're taking the exam, all right? I've taken a number of them. All right, so now we've got that done. Now, you, a chemical can have a couple of different effects on you, all right? One of, uh, so you can have, and I'm going to use math in there, right? You can have one plus one equals two. This is called an additive effect, right? So you have chemical A plus chemical B, and you get uh, the, uh, uh, and uh, assuming it's the same target organs, right? You're going to get a, uh, right, uh, both of them added together. You have more, you know, right? It's a sum of both of them. You have those effects. You can have a canceling effect. So you have two chemicals together. It's an antagonistic effect, right? So one plus one equals zero, where they cancel each other out. You can have a third type called a synergistic effect, where you have two chemicals together and one plus one equals three, right? Think of it like two chemicals together and it gives you a worse, right? Uh, a worse effect, uh, right? The uh, overall effect is greater than some of the parts and you can have everything in between there with that, with uh, the, after those three. Those are the three basic ones with that. Now, right now, there are exposure limits to, I'm told, right, I didn't count them, something like a thousand 
1,500, something like that. And uh, there are exposure limits to chemicals in air for about that number of chemicals, right? Something like that. Now, my question is this. How many uh, chemicals are there in the workplace, in the industry, potentially? Any guess on that? Varying estimates, anywhere from 75,000 to 100,000. So that means for the majority of chemicals out there, all right, the, uh, the majority of chemicals, all right, there are no exposure limits. Now, let's talk about smoke, tobacco smoke. According to Natural American Cigarette, a Natural American Spirit Cigarettes, all right, the last time I looked it up was a number of years ago, uh, cigarette smoke has hundreds of different chemicals in it, right? Same target organ, right? The chemicals here from this, so as a review, we have ethylene glycol monobutyl, ether, ethyl hexyl acrylate, isobutylene, and vinyl chloride. So if they have the same target organ, which they likely do, all then you have to go into the toxicological type of principles here where uh, there's a formula there and you add all the exposure limits together and average them out. I'm not going to go over the formula here on air. Better for a video. You add them all together and you average them out and you're able to figure out whether you have an exposure or not. So generally speaking, the more chemicals that you have, the lower your exposure limit, the more likely you are to exceed exposure limits if you have the same target organ. Does that make sense? So each one of these chemicals that I mentioned might have their own exposure limit. We're going to go through that in a minute. But when added together, right, when added together, they're not going to have the, uh, they're not, the exposure limits are actually lower. So picture that. Think about it that way. By the way, <laughs> forward this program along to your favorite safety professional here, uh, especially the ones first uh, starting out, because they're supposed to know this crap. All right, so let's talk about this. Our first chemical, vinyl chloride. Goes by, I have the SDS here uh, from a certain manufacturer. It has many different names uh, to it. So it has, right off the bat, we're looking in section two of the SDS. All right. It is flammable. It is a compressed gas, and it is a systemic type of poison, right? So uh, it's category one flammable gas, liquefied gas, carcinogen, category one, specific target organ. From repeated exposure, the target organ is the liver. Here we go, extremely flammable gas may form explosive mixtures with air. So it's air reactive. Con contains gas under pressure, may explode if heated, may cause frostbite, may displace oxygen, cause rapid suffocation, may cause cancer, may cause damage to organs through prolonged or repeated exposure. That is liver exposure. Now, we have all different precautionary statements here. And going on, right? So, doo -doo. the main hazard from this is, uh, no, uh, if it's under pressure, according to the SDS, 
with this. Uh, what's uh, skin contact, right? Uh, they're calling for rinsing with copious amounts of water. Uh, no, uh, inhalation it may uh, no, cause a uh, suffocation on here and everything else. So you go down in here, and we're going to get down to the chemical properties. So what's the PEL for uh, uh, for uh, uh, vinyl chloride? So here we have a PEL of one part per million for eight hours. All right. Uh, Short-term exposure limit, five parts per million for 15 minutes. ACGIHTLV is one ppm for eight hours. And we're going to go on down. So, flashpoint for this stuff. Minus 78 degrees Celsius. That is minus 108.4 degrees Fahrenheit for if you, you're in the United States. All right. So, this stuff ignites readily, right? Lower and upper explosive limits. 3.8%, which is 38,000 parts per million. Right? Because 10 part 10 per 10 percent is 100 parts per million. So 3.8 parts per million. Upper explosive limit is 293,000 uh, parts per million. So it has an explosive range. So what is the vapor density? Vapor density is it's uh, we won't go into numbers, it's heavier than air. So, here we have something that is heavier than air leaking from a cart, uh, a, ca a cart, right, uh, a railroad car. So, now you can understand if you have this stuff going on. I don't know what the volume of this was or anything, how much. Now you can understand what the issue is. You have a lighter, uh, heavier than air ga uh, gas going down and settling. Where is it going to settle? All the low places. It's going to settle in basements. It's going to settle in uh, uh, any depressions in the ground, sewers, anything like that. So you can understand why we are going out and we are evacuating areas. This is a very dangerous thing. I don't have the ERG book on here, but I imagine that, uh, no, hey, let's do that. Emergency response guide. I hate when I do this. Right? So here we have the updated one, 2020, and do do do. Here is in English, and let's download it. It's available online, and we're going to do a find, find vinyl chloride. So it's guidebook number 116P. You go down. Again, all of this is readily available. This is why you look at the UN number on the side. 116. Guide number 116. Here. All right. Extremely flammable. Will form explosive mixtures with air. Right? Do, do, do. Those substances with a P may polymerize explosive when heated or involved in a fire. Vapors from liquefied gas are initially heavier than air and spread along the ground. Vapors may travel through a source of ignition and flashback on here. So, 
Let's find this again. Vinyl chloride. Okay, it does not have a uh, green label, which means that it does not have an area where they're going to be uh, requiring a, uh, 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 at least going to the emergency response guidebook. And we're going to verify this. We're going to go to the green pages. Does not have a, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? An exclusion zone set up here. So let's go on down. Do, do we have anything? I'll double checking. Doesn't hurt to double check. An isolation distance. Okay. Hold on, bear with me. Again, you have all this in here. Not in here. All right, so we have that uh, on there, right? So now you understand what the danger is from that. Second one is ethylene glycol monobutyl ether. It is another one, right? A vapor density, it's heavier than air. Hmm. Do we have that in the emergency response guidebook? And let's see here. Ethylene glycol monobutyl ether. Okay. Ethylene glycol monobutyl ether has an isolation distance here. All right. Emergency guide number 127, and it's 1171. Let's see what the 1171 is on here. Do, do, do. I know it's wonderful radio. Eleven one doesn't really have, list it, but it doesn't really list it. But anyway, again, sinker. Exposure limits, 20 ppm. Uh, TLV, no PEL. No uh, uh, MAK, uh, right, which is European, 10 ppm, European Union, 20 ppm, right? Uh, does not list a target organ here, but it does mean, uh, have, oh, here it is. It is a target organ is liver. Oh, okay, so we have vinyl chloride targeting liver, ethylene glycol targeting the liver. Okay, let's see this one. Here we have... Uh, 2-ethylhexylacrylate. And again, target organ, respiratory system. All right, uh, with that, does that, according to the SDS I have, does that impact the liver? But uh, again, it has two ingredients, and only one of them has uh, a PEL on here. Uh, and it's a vacated one by OSHA, 5 milligrams per meter cube. That means it's an aerosol in all likelihood on here. And let's talk about isobutylene, the SDS for isobutylene. Hold on. So here we have one with isobutylene is uh, highly flammable. So now here's the question here. We're going to wrap this up. Wrap it all up, Jim. There's a lot of criticism of the government for... Uh, for, the, for handling this, burning it off. There's dead animals and everything else. So look at the hazards here. I wasn't there. I'm not going to second guess the person in the field. But I'm going to tell you this. This is some seriously nasty gluvno here to deal with. And 
I probably, based on the available press information, I'd probably be handling it the same way. So, uh, again, we need to keep an eye on this and watch this, and don't forget those four questions that I mentioned. And that's it for Safety Wars for... Uh, that's it for Safety Wars for February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day. We will see you tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.